Good evening and welcome back to Trial by Fire podcast with your hosts Stacy and Rachel. Stace, how are you doing? Oh, it's freezing today. It is. It is cold around here. It's not typical California weather, but I'm still in my shorts. <laughs> well, yeah, so am I. Well, we are so excited because we have a special guest with us today. Father Beto, how are you doing? I am doing fine. Thank you for inviting me. And yes, it is really cold. <laughs> yeah. We're, I swear, it looks like we're all like hovered around the fire over here. Yeah, it's like an imaginary fire because we are in a like a tinderbox kind of place. But it's we're just happy to be together and we're going to have a great show for you today. So Father, if you don't mind leading us in opening prayer to get us started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send down your Holy Spirit and enlighten our minds so we can... Uh, discuss, reflect, and uh, help people to understand the faith a little bit more. And we ask this through Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Holy Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we're going to bounce around, I think, probably on a a number of different topics. Our main focus today will probably be, hopefully no one uh, tunes us out when I say this, it will be slavery. And we'll kind of call this our pre pre-Lenten edition, so to speak. And we're hopefully going to discuss slavery today in terms of what do we as mankind make ourselves slaves to or what do we become enslaved to uh, that maybe either is impediments to our grace or impediments to our relationship uh, with God to achieving, uh, you know, a more holier state in our spiritual lives. So um, I think there's a lot that... uh, that blocks us. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Father? Uh, well, in a spiritual life, uh, once we say the word slavery, uh, every time is related to sin. You know, uh, everything that keeps us not in the way of our holiness. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's what I think every time we, we talk about slavery in, in, in the religious uh, thinking. And I, I actually think that it's important for us. I know, is you know, as a part of the divine office every day, as a part of your night prayer, you're encouraged to do an examination of conscience. And I'm usually always encouraging Catholics to kind of do that before they retire for the night because it's such a, a great way to end our day to, to realize the areas that we failed on so that tomorrow truly is a new day and there's hope for us to make improvements because we always have second and third and fourth, fifth, sixth chances or whatnot, right? So that we don't squander them. Um, and as we as we go into Lent, I think it's, it's really good for us because as all good Catholics, we'll all probably be deciding to either give up something or do something good and you know, the sad thing about Lent to me is that when Lent is over, a lot of people, look their their things, like they, whatever they were doing for Lent, kind of go by the wayside. And so I think it's challenging to kind of keep them incorporated into our lives. I mean, 40 days. If you, whatever you pick, I don't care what you pick, it should be a habit by then, right? If you've even been moderately uh, successful. Scientifically, it's the range for humans to actively intend on switching a habit is between 14 and 21 days. Scientifically, that's kind of the ballpark. But we know that even after 40 days, 
we tend to bring back those old habits or kind of go, okay, our time is over. I'm going to go back to who I was. And we're seeing that especially now, you know, we're approaching Lent and anyone who had New Year's resolutions, those were a long time ago. Like we're, we've really returned back to those prior choices that weren't necessarily the most beneficial for us, but now we have kind of chosen a more convenient path where we're kind of intentionally ignoring the sins that we're committing just to get by. Oh, I, I, fa- I, like I think it's a failure of the human condition, right? But, I mean, it is what it is. Well, at the end of the, let's face it, at the end of the Lent, you're, you're not a master, you're still a novice. That's not necessarily a bad thing, I don't think, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at least you tried. And, and everyone's at different points on the journey. So, um, I mean, you hate to say it's subjective, but mastery is kind of, in a sense, subjective to where you are at that in particular time and point in your faith journey. You know what I mean? That's why I'm always telling people, uh, be realistic when you pick what you're going to do for Lent. Because some people are like, I'm going to say the rosary every day. I'm like, do you say a decade of the rosary today? And they're like, no. I'm like, it's going to be a difficult Lent. It's going to be a really difficult... Or, like, I, I'm going to go to Mass, like, every single day of the week. I'm like, really? Do you go on Sunday? No. It's, it's going to be a long night. <laughs> it's going to be a long night. You know what I mean? Like, yes. be realistic with yourself because you, you want to get better. You want to progress in the spiritual life. And that doesn't... I, I don't think that necessarily means starting huge. You yes. have to start small. Yes. I mean... Well, at least you can try and 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 uh, see yourself uh, how you can manage to do the whole thing with just you know probably three or four hail marys, yeah, and from there increase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's no shame in that. I mean, there's plenty of times when yes. I mean I start my rosary and I salt my happens and I can't finish and I gotta either finish later or you know, um, and plus like we're always talking about on here, there's that's the great great treasure of the church. There's so many different devotions that there's something out there literally for each and every person. It's just a matter of just either stumbling upon it or actively trying to find it. You know, if you usually pray every day, uh, little uh, in the morning and evening, you find a, a way to incorporate uh, any of the prayers. Like, uh, sometimes I don't pray the rosary every day. Uh, but if we pray it, I mean, you, you, you really enjoy praying the rosary because uh, uh, you usually pray every day. doesn't have to be the rosary, but I, I pray every day. You know, before going to bed, every morning when I wake up, uh, it doesn't have to be uh, something that you repeat. But prayer is whatever you do every day. You can make it into prayer. Well, and I think that's important because, honestly, that is something that I've been trying to, like, work on in my own kind of personal life is I feel like when it's a big decision, um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I don't have a perfect record on this, by the way, but I feel like it's easier to incorporate God into my decision. But there are so many decisions, uh, so many things that come out of my mouth during the course of the day that don't include God in them. And so I, I know, like, one thing I've been trying to work on is, is trying to get better about um, not only incorporating God into everything I do during the day, but it but actually making Him just a part. Even if I can't, you know, be 100% on the spiritual page, 
at least be kind of cognizant that this is how my day is supposed to be ordered, you know? But but I think, honestly, though, to speak to what you just said, I, I think that's a, a mistake that a lot of people make, too, though, a lot of good Catholics, is that, you know, they feel if it's not a whole rosary, like all five decades, or if it's not every weekday Mass, like they're quantifying, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and, like, it's it's like a lesser than their commitment. But commitment is all relative to what you're doing at that time and point in your life, if that, make, if that makes sense, where you are. And like you're saying, that may only be two Hail Marys for that day, or maybe none. It may be not even a formalized prayer. I mean, some of the greatest saints in the church who were so eloquent, some of the doctors even had days when they went before the Lord in the Blessed Eucharist, and they just put their heart on the altar and said, I have, I don't even know why I'm here today. I don't even know what I have to give or what I'm doing. I mean, if that's some of the greatest, some of our greatest saints, I mean, that, I take consolation in that because that's how I feel. And, and I think that God is actually, not, not only is that how I feel sometimes, I think that actually God is okay with that because sometimes I think that he wishes that we could just slow our minds and just come to him and be like, I got nothing today, man. Like, I'm here. I, I'm totally drained. I got nothing. You have to give it a try. Whatever it is, you have to give it a try. Anyway, at the beginning of Lent season, uh, you were right when, when people decide to choose something to change, something to practice. But it has to be uh, uh, a good decision taken. Yeah, because yeah, I hate to see people get... Dis- like, we talked about that before uh, here, I think last year on Let's Pass, about picking something that is actually feasible for you to do because you don't want to feel dejected or like a a Lenten failure like I do during Advent. (laughs) Oh, I'm a total Lenten failure. Like like where you have the Advent failure down, Lent, I struggle. And so I just go, oh, like the big loser sign is going to come up, uh, like mid-Lent. But one of, you know, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Uh, because this past weekend, our teenagers just had a, a transform a transformative retreat. Uh, like the purpose of the retreat is that before the like when they entered at the beginning at 10 a.m. and when they left after mass at 7 p.m., they can identify at least two areas in their life where they see God transform their reality, transform their expectations, and you know anyone who remembers being a teenager, everything's so immediate, like. It's like, it's the crisis is right now. I feel it. It's the biggest thing that's ever happened. It'll never be worse than it is right now. And speaking many moons later, I can safely say, you know, things do get worse. And yet God still has that ability to be transformative. And uh, one activity, Stace is going to laugh at me for this, uh, but our, t- our teens led it was just so cool. It was a two-hour reflection hosted by our, our t- rock team interns where they took small groups and they went through the six different elements of self-care but had to find Christ in the Bible. I am laughing. You are laughing. I am I, laughing. You're laughing. Not but, even to myself, out loud. Yeah. I am laughing. <laughs> but it was self-care. interesting to see them take the scripture and apply it to practice such as physical self-care, like what they're eating, drinking, resting, their vocational self-care, like what are they doing that they actually want to do and not what they're being forced to do. Um, Emotional self-care, learning that what they are feeling is okay and like finding all of those things from the Bible and finding that comfort 
it was just amazing seeing from the beginning of the two hours of the activity where they were, you know, it was post-lunch, they were a little rowdy, but after they were very mellow and kind of trying to process all those feelings, it kind of brings it to now when you're trying to select something that you're either going to sacrifice or add into your Lenten practice, where do you actually see it? Like, where can you actually see like tangible, relatable, physical proof that you've gone through this 40 days? And I think that that is something as I'm trying to mature into a stronger and better Catholic woman, what am I actually going to accomplish that is successful in that way? I try to, I think the way I pick is, uh, I, I try to pick, don't laugh, either one of y'all. I try to pick what's going to make me uncomfortable. That's how I pick my life. I can't imagine much making you I, that's uncomfortable. That's how I pick. What's going to make me, or is like one of the huge kind of things that factor out. What's going to make me uncomfortable? And there's a lot of things I'm not good at. But I try to pick something in the area that I'm not good at, an area that I'm I'm lacking. Um, it, there's plenty of things that make me uncomfortable. What are you talking about? You're a very confident person. I can't like imagine you uncomfortable. That's because no one else is in the room with us right oh. now. <laughs> That's fake. What? <laughs> no. My mouth is constantly right. Never mind. I shouldn't say that. That <laughs> statement on here. That's not PG, but. Um, no, um, there are things that, that make me uncomfortable, that put me out of my... Look, I've been married almost 25 years. One thing that I'm not good at, oh my gosh, don't judge me, Father, and... Um, cooking. Cooking? No, no, she's a good cook. Oh, I'm a good cook. No, she's a good cook. I'm a good cook. Uh, I'm not good at... Um, I don't like praying with Gabe. He's just staring at me now. Praying <laughs> with me? I, I feel the judgment. Okay, wait a minute. I'm not good at praying You've been married him. for so long and you guys don't pray together? No. No, mm-hmm. we, we, we don't. Um, I mean, every once in a while we did, like when our daughter was at home, we would always, um, I mean, obviously we went to Mass together and, and, you know, we did things together, spiritual things together, and especially at Lent, Everybody had like their own devotion mm-hmm. or their own thing they mm-hmm. were doing, mm-hmm. but we always picked one thing that the three of us would decide that we would also do in addition together. And like sometimes that would be we would pray together every day as a family, but someone else, someone had to be the leader every day, mm-hmm. and that pretty much was like not me. So whoever didn't get that out first was the leader by default for that day. And but. Um, I mean, obviously, Katie's older. She's an adult now. She's gone. Mm-hmm. We, no. That just never came back for the two of you. No. And, so you just and, mentioned about the rosary. And Gabe is going to kill me. Hold on. That's just how oh, much we don't know about. Well, I mean, no, let me rephrase that. It's been about maybe three or four years ago. I was washing his clothes and I, his uniform for work. And I had everything all folded and ironed and ready to go for when he goes back on duty and then he came and he said my um my rosary is missing out on my pocket and i went what i I don't there was no rosary and he's like there's there is a rosary in my work pocket i keep it in my work pocket and and it's like it's not there because i just put the pants away and i was just like "I, i didn't find a rosary i didn't even know that he prayed his rosary every day when he was at work so i mean I've been married a long time, and I just found that out like four or five years ago. <laughs> there you go. See? But 
it's not something we do. Sometimes we, sometimes, but not very often, Rachel knows as we do the divine office, the night prayer together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that's an area that we lack in and makes me uncomfortable. Well, yeah. It, it's like me. I mean, uh, I love the rosary, but I always enjoy praying with someone else because, I mean, the way the, way the rosary is said, like the first part of the Our Father and then oh, the other yeah, person yeah, responds yeah. And, uh, and things like that. And, and I find it more helpful like that. Some people, they use even the, the radio, the, the YouTube, you know, there's a rosary yeah. already recorded and, and they, they participate into it. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, I mean, I, that could uh-huh. be something. I mean, I don't know. Some people, some couples are good at that. That's not something, I, I think, because yes. we are a lot alike. My mom and my dad, I mean, I always saw him before my mom passed. Uh, I was praying the rosary together. Oh, I never saw my parents pray together, actually. Yeah. I mean. My parents have a, they're both very prayerful, but they're different. They don't. Unless there's, like, a crisis or something that, like, requires, like, a lot of intention, they don't pray together, but they pray all the time. Like, that's the thing, like, like, with my father, he's very traditional, where it's, like, every morning we have the rosary on EWTN, he goes through it, and if not at night, it's the YouTube ones. With my mom, it's, like, from the moment she opens her eyes to when she goes to bed, there's constant conversations with God, and then I think, like, my favorite thing is if she's grilling... And she'll go out and do grill to the rosary. So, like, she'll grill to the rosary. Like, she'll, like, do a decade, check the meat. And then go back, do a decade, check the meat. And then by the time the rosary is over, the meat's done. Yeah, it's well, like, yeah, like I mean, she's got her way and it works. Yeah. Um, but it's something where I saw that, like, when they had to pray together, it usually came from, like, an incident or something that we knew was going to be a conflict or we knew that as a family, we were all going to be addressing at some point. Um, but that's when they came to pray together. Um, but that's, but daily prayer together. No. And it doesn't have to be anything difficult or you have to experience problems to go back to, to pray. Uh, there are people who used to pray every day at every moment, you know, they're driving, they pray, they are working, they pray. And they don't get distracted because that's something that will help them. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of like what I was talking about earlier, about being able to incorporate it into your life to where mm-hmm. it, it's almost the natural kind of flow of your day. <clears throat> instead of something, instead of like, like Grigio was talking about, where something has to happen, where you have to stop and go like, oh, wait, let's have a moment of prayer for this because this is not a good situation. Where it would almost just roll off your tongue naturally mm-hmm. and be a part of the day, anyways. Because it's, cause it's kind of like this. It's kind of it's easy to be good when you're at mass, right? It's easy yeah, to think well, that is debatable. Like I mean, you're way you would, too old to be having that. Oh reaction. no, no, to be no to be good at <laughs> listen. Like I, I think this hits every person. We all in in theory. Okay, in theory, we all go, we surrender everything at the door to go in and participate in the Mass wholeheartedly focused. But I can safely say, especially like post-pandemic or like in the middle, you see everyone's eyes are darting to the nearest cough or you see like they're not or they're worried about something and they're like trying to quiet their kids. They're not surrendering in the moment to be in Mass. And even if you're like trying to be good, 
it's sometimes hard because just like, because we've been so shell-shocked for two years, and then if you already have those bad habits pre-pandemic, then they're amplified now that we're coming back. So I think it's like, we, you know, if you have the intention of like, okay, when I'm going to mass, it's all at the door, and you're able to do it, fantastic. But I also think that there's a window where it's like, oh, are we really doing a good job? But no, but I understand what you're saying, but actually, like, what I'm, I'm talking about is like, when you're at mass, even though your mind may wander, it is easy to be God-centered for the most part. I mean, unless you're coming to mass with baggage. You know, like something just happened or you just had an argument right before, you know, you left for mass or something like that. It's, more, it's a lot easier to be God-centered or Christ-centered in mass than it is just during the course of your day when you're sitting at your office or, I mean, I work for the church. You're not always Christ-centered when you're sitting in your office. I'd like to tell you I was, but I'm not. No, I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I mean, you have to work at it. But, but I think that speaks to, to reroute us back to our actual topic is the, the things that we do make ourselves slaves to. Because I, I know personally, I'm a slave to a schedule. I, I, I live and die by a schedule. You can reach Moses. You can ask me any day of the week, and I can tell you what I do on that given day. And sometimes that's, that's to my detriment. Sometimes it's good because it's like, hey, I haven't said the prayers that I need to say today. I need to get on that and this rest of this stuff needs to kind of get on the back burner for a little bit. I got to prioritize. And then other times it's just like, no, I got to get these other things done because it's Tuesday or it's Thursday. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think a schedule could be a good thing. But for me, it does get, I, I am definitely a slave to a schedule. And it's not always it's not always good. I mean, I find myself missing morning mass sometimes that way because I'm doing something on a particular day. Not on Sunday, but on a particular day. You're already having something by 7 or 7.30 a.m. That's keeping that from the daily mass. Like, you've got... Uh-huh. Line. Oh, no. That's why I don't text you that early. That's when I have thoughts and things I have to filter them until <laughs> lunchtime. Okay, so there's a big <laughs> I get between at, me and Stacy. That, like that, that is not happening. To, what? I get up at like 4.45, 5 o'clock. Father, when do you wake up? Around 6. Oh. Okay. I'm, I'm the best. Well, I have the morning mass at 7. And I want to take my time, you know, to wake up, get ready, and, and start reading and meditate a little bit. Uh, yeah. But when, when I don't have uh, anything in the morning... It depends, uh, because for many years in the seminary, waking up at five forty-five or before, you you need a you have a clock inside you. So my clock is it's broken. broken. It's broken. <laughs> like, no, because okay. my clock is like seven forty-five, eight, nine if I'm sick, and sick doesn't happen often. Like seven forty-five is almost midday. I know, but like it's hard. Speaking but, of okay. slavery. <laughs> I know, we're like, like midday. There you go. Yeah, slaves are what? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get a text tomorrow morning at 7.45. Stacey, what have you done? I've be like, never texted up. Rachel before 9 o'clock in the morning, for the record. Unless she texted me, which I don't... Maybe on an emergency one time ever yeah. in our friendship. But no. Well, because one thing that I noticed... I mean, because you and I are about the same age, Father. I, we, like, I was... Well, I'm not going to tell the truth. <laughs> no, I'm, you guys are in the ballpark. Yeah, no, we're close. Um, like, 
when I was growing up, you had to get up early. But then I also was someone that always stayed up later. But the older mm. I got, the older I'm getting, I find that, like, that's kind of flipping around. Like, I'm going to bed earlier and getting up earlier. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's age. Uh-huh. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's part I mean, Gabe's just a weirdo. He's always gotten up early. I, I don't know what's wrong with him. But, um, but yeah. And that, and I feel like if, if I don't get certain things done when I get up, because I'm not a good person. If... If when I get up, I don't get up and put God first and do my prayers, I mean, like, before I take a shower, before I start anything, that, like, I'm telling y'all, it's like I'm a slave to a schedule. I start doing other things that I think need to get done for the day, and that I push further and further down the list, and before you know it, it's just the afternoon or the evening or the night, and I haven't done those things. And I feel so horrible because I feel like a failure because I feel like, I've done everything except for the one essential thing that I'm called to do every day. I just kept pushing it down and pushing it down, you know. And then it, and and I'm just saying this personally, but it just feels. Then it becomes like I made it a task, because now I'm at the end of the day and I still haven't got it done, so I just need to check that box. So then I feel like my heart's not in it. So I don't know. Now there's crickets because everybody's judging me. No, it's processing. Yeah, we like there are people who wake up early thinking that if I don't do it, there will be no time for me to do this and do that, and especially also about God in prayer. But believe it or not, it's not about waking up early or late. It's about that honestly, we don't give God a time during the day. We don't even think about Him. No, I agree. Yeah, so. If we give God a, a little bit of time, He's the owner of the time. You know, He's the God of time. He will give you time to have time. Yeah, I can see that. Because I'm, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't do it in the morning because I feel like it has to be done in the morning. I feel like when I do it in the morning, I'm setting the tone for my day. And I feel like it does help me to put God... To, to make him a part of my day because that's the first thing that I've I've done instead of the me things or like chores or whatever you know um, but it helps me to put him make him a part of my day because I never want I, I mean I know I'm guilty of it but I never want God to be a task mm-hmm. and I think that that's really easy to fall into that trap of making your religion or your faith just a task you know, plus I feel like when I do it early, I feel like it's like, this is a really bad analogy, by the way, but it's like having the first doctor's appointment. You can take as long as you want because everything else can just be late and it doesn't matter, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's why I like, I like St. Patrick's uh, uh, time of the Mass because it's at 7 in the morning. I know all the churches, they have at 8 or late, even noontime, but I love at 7 o'clock. Because I, I, I'm an early person. And then I go to Mass. I wake up at 5.45, 6, get ready, go to Mass. And I don't say, God, I'm done with you. And then I'll do my things. No, you're never done with God. You know, but that's that's a good beginning. I love waking up, celebrating the Mass, and then you feel refreshed. I, I can't, oh, I guess since you're here, I can ask you. Because I've never asked this before, like any of my buddies that are priests, but 
I can't imagine the honor and the... I don't even know how to describe it because it just kind of blows my mind. The honor and be able to celebrate Mass. To be the priest. To be able to do that every day. That's just something that as long... I mean, I've been Catholic my whole life, but that's something that always... Sometimes I think about, what, what an honor. Oh, yeah. That just blows my mind that you get to do that every day. Uh, well, honestly, I, I do Mass every day because we are... Well, you know what I mean. But when I was by myself, I was I was doing yeah. most of the days. But now with Father David, uh, we share yeah. every week. And then uh, what do I do the rest of the, the days that I have Mass? Well, I, I pray uh, different things, but uh, I wish I had... Every day, uh, the celebration of the Mass, but... Ah, but, no. but that's the luxury you have that we don't. You could go home and say Mass. Yeah, at you least can. three times a week. I mean, weekdays. Yeah. But on the weekend, weekends, up to four Masses. No, I know you're busy mm-hmm. I was, weekends. I always get excited when when I get to celebrate Mass. Uh, I mean, to, for me, especially the, the prayers and then the preaching and, uh, and the reading, uh, and then to see the people. Coming to church. Somebody was talking to me a couple weeks ago about about that, about you, and I was saying that that I like now you've been my boss for six years, and one thing that I notice about you is that anytime I see you at mass, I feel like it's almost the first time I've seen you at mass. That you're you're so different when um, it's mass time. That it's always kind of. Uh, it's inspiring that you're always caught up in the moment. Like you're just regular Father Beto before, but once you take off, you can see the love and the devotion and and just um, the sanctity uh, comes through you when you're actually saying Mass. Yeah, good luck. We have no cameras in here for people I to know, see facial reactions. <laughs> yeah. But you, but you know what? That's that's an important thing to to have or to exude because. This is important for your flock, for the people, you know. Um, and well, if we are sharing all this information about our personal way of life, of our spiritual life, because we was we started the the the, uh, the talk with uh, slavery, uh, we want to overcome slavery. We need to uh, enjoy our spiritual life. Yeah, I know. Many Catholics think that it can't be joyful, yeah. or it's only joyful at Christmas. That's one thing that like is a big stereotype that we always have to correct. It's like, oh, joy's only at Christmas. I'm like, no, it's every day. It's in the ordinary things to find. Lent makes me happy. Now everybody's crying. Quiet. No, it's over here. I like Lent. Okay, I will say since we have worked together, I I think like it's like this. Gosh, how many years have we been now? Like in this role, I think four years. We're coming on together. Um. No, I have learned to find joy in Lent. Because when I first started as a youth minister, it was a very solemn experience and something I was like, and I very much have shared I'm very poor at Lent. Just because I have so much going, it's hard for me to give it the uh, time it's due. Um, But it is that something, uh, to discover the joy in it is something new and exciting to, uh, even as an adult Catholic, I'm building into my faith journey. I love Lent, and this sounds really bad since my boss is here today, but, like, my favorite Lents are when I'm not at St. Patrick's for Lent. Whoa, shots fired. I'm just kidding. Let me clarify, because it is 
a sacrifice for me to, this was really bad, to be here at Lent at work because Lent is my favorite time of the year. And, I, I mean, it's one of those times that I feel closest to God. I feel like we actually, even though every time we go to Mass, we get a glimpse into the divine, I feel like at Lent, the church pulls out all the stops. And, and it's so... It's, it's so easy to be caught up and let yourself go into everything that's going on, especially at the Triduum. And by the time we get to, you know, Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday, it's just like just four days of, you know, just an absolute wow. I feel like that's the closest that I come as a human, you know, before my eternal reward to glimpsing or touching the divine. I mean, I do. And, 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 and it's, I'm not saying that from like an egotistical standpoint or anything like that. Um, I'm just saying it, it just really, really reminds me of what I'm supposed to be doing here and what my call, calling is and what I'm, you know, the things I'm meant to do, what I'm actually, I guess what I'm actually made for. Because there's so many things that I do during the course of the day and year that I'm actually not made for. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not my purpose. So I, I love that because there's no doubt. And, you know, when, when people tell me they come to Mass and they're bored, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, go during Lent. Go during the Triduum. Even though it's not a holy day, they're not holy days of obligation. If you go and you're bored, let me tell you something, you're missing, you're missing the boat. Because there's so much going on. It's like sensory overload almost. You know, yeah, I've never understood the comment about boredom in Mass. Even down to the physicality of our faith where we're standing, kneeling, bowing, professing, like... In my opinion, it would be very difficult to find an opportunity to be bored. Like, I would, I don't know, maybe because I have so much going in my mind all the time, it, it it's something that I struggle to connect with, is saying you're bored. Father, what do you think? Yes, and you really need to understand all of this process, uh, processes in, 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 the, in the mass, in the steps. Uh, people find it bored, boring because uh, we don't understand what we celebrate. Why we kneel, what we stand, why we sit down to listen to the word and, and all the things that we do in, in church. And I, don't, and I think if anyone, because I, I just told this to somebody yesterday, I'm like, if you ever were curious about the fact that everything you did during the course of the Mass had a meaning, pick up a missile and read the little red print in the missile because everything you do, everything you do, from your postures to the words you speak, everything actually has a purpose. It's not just like an organized kind of worship just to flow nicely. It all has a meaning. Mm -hmm. And there's meanings with hidden, not hidden, but there's meanings within the meanings even. Um, so I think it's a lack of, like you said, lack of understanding, lack of education on a part. Plus... I think we have to remember, too, that we live in a time where, until COVID came, I mean, we were spoiled. We never have to travel for Mass. We Basically, our own, only dilemma on the weekend is what time we're going to go. We're not like, oh, we have to go like an hour away to attend Mass this weekend. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, it be, it's easy for it to become the mundane because it, it's routine for us. Maybe one of the next uh, talks we can talk about the parts of the mass and, and why we stand, why we sit down, uh, and why we do what we do. 
Yeah, and why do people leave before the final the final blessing? Oh, which, oh my that gosh. is such a pet peeve of mine. When they say, I didn't say it. And, and, and here's the funny <laughs> thing. That's one of the most ancient parts of the mash, right? Because uh, the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, and they gave a, a similar final blessing. Not even Judas left that early. Oh, yeah, that was more words. But we, oh. you should well, Judas, start praying uh, now. waited until he finished dinner, and then he left. To trade it out uh, for yeah. that, th- those thirty no, pieces. No, just, 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 <laughs> he died. He died in dash. Died in dash. He's like, I'm gonna eat this um, piece. Yeah. <laughs> but no. Um, th- going back to our talk about slavery and thinking about that in correspondence to what we're going to be either sacrificing or adding into Lent. Um, I had to do some heavy reflection because I do. I don't do this, but I know other people who do that always do the same thing during Lent, right? Like they always do the same sacrifice. Like this is what they're going to be doing. And, you know, I was not intending on doing this, but one of the things I was reflecting on is what I sacrificed last year. And what I sacrificed last year is I deactivated all my social media, like all of it. And only use it to upload episodes of the podcast like that was literally or updates on my book because I was right at that time both things were ramping up and so I thought to myself I'm like okay here we go and I was doing some reflection now and one thing that it, it was very interesting when Stacy brought up this was going to be our topic today is that how much we are slaves to finding out how many likes we have on a picture or how many you know, messages we're getting in our private message box or the comments, who's leaving the comments for you. It's this very strange digital addiction that's now manifested itself into our day to day. And I see it so much, especially like in the pandemic with our teenagers, because they had to go from gaining their social skills and gaining all these things in interactions with other people to suddenly learning was all online communication was all online all these things were and now we're in this role where we're transitioning back and it is physically painful to many people to not be connected to their phone or not even having like physical nearness to them uh the idea of anyone not being like within five feet of their device is like oh my god what happened what happened to this and it's that, you know, that's when you have to ask yourself, and, I, and this is where I start getting way too philosophical on this. I'm like, is this an addiction or is this a, like a physical communication dependence? Like, where am I? And then you bring in God. It's like, is this what God cre- meant by the creation of these devices? Did he intend for us to create these avenues of communication to be our sole way of communicating with one another it was this the point and i really don't think it was i mean i really don't think we were meant to be a hundred percent remote communicating through these things i think it's it's something to where and i have to sit back and go well how much am i surrendering over you know i my sisters were laughing because this past weekend we had like a quasi reunion memorial 
birthday celebration for my mother and her uh, cousins because they are all turning a special number this year for their birthday. So Ooh, 21 is special. Ren- 21 for 21 Renee, Renee 21 forever, right? <laughs> she would murder me if I put it out there. No, but, um, Write it down on a piece of paper. I'll right, I'll it. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, no ammo. But no, um, we were having this time. And I just posted some photos on my Instagram, like, oh, family time, so blessed, blah, blah. And suddenly I get a call from my cousin. She's like, why do you have 742 people liking this? I'm like, what? And I look and suddenly all these people are liking it. I didn't know them. Like, I'm, you know, they're just people who follow my account or whatever. And then I really thought about it. I'm like, why would that matter? Like, in the grand scheme like who's really looking and it's just it's something where that's when I really start reflecting on this question about social media it's like who's looking at you and why is that so important because then we become slaves to who liked this picture or who liked this post well and 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 the whole being a slave to it i mean and what it was how and it was intended or is it being used is it being used the way it was uh, intended to be used? That's one of the great dilemmas the church is fastly, I mean, like snowballing toward when we talk about streaming masses and Sunday uh, Sunday dispensations, because eventually that will have to go away. And I don't, I really don't feel that we have um, our people have the education necessary to understand why streaming doesn't qualify as your Sunday obligation. But you think about it, Mass is not very fulfilling when you watch it online. Why? Because it was not intended to be that way. It was intended to be with your community. I mean, why do you think it's such a big deal? Why do you, why do you think that people, parishes, encourage you to, to join? You're joining your kind of local, regional, Catholic family. You're, you know, that's what you're becoming a part of. It's meant to be in-person to be a dialogue, to be a communion with other mm-hmm. people, your fellow Catholics. I mean, I, I'll just be honest. That's something I had to learn the hard way. Because when I, when I graduated from college and I ended up, I never foreseen myself moving out west, I did feel much like I was a missionary in foreign territory when I came to California because it was so different. And I it was a learning curve of how to not be... Uh, I had many lessons, let's just say, from my confessor about not keeping everything for myself and not staying only within myself when it came to my religion and my faith, that it was important for me not only to share with other people, but to allow people to share their faith with me. Because I was very much like a like one-man show. Like, I got this, right? Like, how many people do I really need in my circle? Mm-hmm. Not many. So, you know, so I, I understand that about using it the way it was intended. Like I said, we are fast approaching that dilemma. That'll be uh, something that we'll have to eventually face, especially in American in the American church. You know, like we need more problems, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So then what do you suggest for this uh, coming Lent in regards to uh, going to church for Mass or keep watching it on, 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 on YouTube? Well... W- our series of Linton podcasts this year, we're going to have small challenges, and we're hoping that, uh, you know, people will participate, and I, our first challenge is returning to Mass in person. I, mm-hmm. I think it's so important, 
Um, and I think that I, I'm not downplaying the streaming or, or labeling it as a bad thing, but I think no. we've gotten to a point where it's we're not it's not being used the way it was intended. I would absolutely agree, and especially thinking about that connection piece that we were talking about. I remember we were so progressive here at St. Patrick's to live stream one of the first uh, parishes to do it. Like, ever, you know, you, we were one of the first ones, like, we saw the problem, wasn't have a foreseeable future, and we were able to do it during Holy Week. I mean, being able to have that was so amazing, and I remember when, I felt you ripped know, off. Like, like, I felt like, you know, Father Beto and Father Vince, seeing them on, you would look at the comment section when it was live. And you'll be like, oh, there they are. Oh, look at them. Look at our church. Oh, I miss it. And you'd like read the comments because people were so ingrained because it was that it was taken away. Like we're no. But now those comments are long gone, right? Like people aren't commenting if they're watching. They're in the routine of like, I don't have to write, hi, Father Beto or hi, St. Patrick's. Like they don't have to type that anymore because they're just, you know, they're watching and they're streaming and they're doing it from the comfort of their home. Uh, but I've mentioned this before when we first had this debate is there is a huge difference between streaming mass and participating in it. And I know for myself, the it was for me, it was I think it was eight weeks from like the, when we first had the pandemic to when I first sat in mass to have communion. And I remember when I took the communion, it was a very multi-sensory emotional experience for me I was like I had been starved like oh my gosh I, I can't believe I'm consuming the body of Christ again oh my god and I, I just it, it brought me to tears on my seat like I'm back and I think that for this challenge that when we start Lent and we're challenging our listeners to return thank goodness yes they deserve to feel that and go back and be like yes we are here um but, you know, not that I'm saying that we shouldn't keep streaming because there are some people that whether, you know, any fault of their own, they may not be able to return. But it shouldn't be the primary reason why, you know, like, oh, I only stream or I'm only going to do this. No, it should be a worst case scenario, like in my opinion. Yeah. You know, my plan, even way before the pandemic started, uh, was to to bring the live streaming of the masses for the people at at the hospitals, at the convalescent homes, uh, uh, people who are sick at home, uh, you know, to reach out to those in, in that area. And now with the pandemic, uh, not only we were able to live stream, but also to be able to have the equipment that we need to continue. And even after the pandemic is gone, hopefully. Uh, I plan to continue live streaming the mass, even if like ten people watch the mass, but to reach out to those who cannot go to church. Because one of the things I say, there is a way difference between uh, watching the mass on YouTube, and even if it is beautiful, but to receive communion. Yeah. yeah. And I and I think the streaming, honestly, it falls under one of those things that. To me, maybe not for y'all, but to me, it's just really this simple. There's a lot of great things that we create that um, their intent, their intentions or their purposes become skewed in the process. And the misuse of the mass via streaming, is that's, that's how I look at it. It was great um, because we were in this, we were in uncharted waters. 
I mean, I've spoken before in here that if, you know, if you would have ever told me that masks would have been taken away from us, I, I would have laughed at you. I, I would have never thought in my day and age I would have seen that. You know what I mean? And um, so I think it was a great solution. I just think that, you know, there, with the good, sometimes you got to take the bad. And that's that's what we're seeing. But but we can't even, in my opinion, um, and and I don't know about y'all, but in my opinion, we can't even blame the whole bulk of the problem on the streaming because we have to take responsibility. We have to take the onus that we have not done a good job at forming our people in the last 30 years. And so there's not that going to be, if we decide to cut off the streaming or we, you know, the dispensation ends from the bishop tomorrow, there's not going, our church is not going to be suddenly full. I'd love to be wrong, but that we just don't have that sacramental understanding, you know what I mean, that would drive them back. Um, you know, it was kind of like when we first came back to Mass uh, during the pandemic, everybody who pretty much was in attendance at Mass were people who shouldn't have been there. You know, like at-risk people and older people and things like that. It wasn't the younger people who were like, hey, we're young. We should be able to, like, bounce back from this thing really easy. We don't need a dispensation. It, it wasn't like that. So I, I just don't think that we have that understanding. And, and I don't know what's going on. I haven't talked to too many of my colleagues in other parishes, but I also don't know about in other parishes that, I mean, we, we've talk, spoke to this like a little bit before, and I, I don't understand why. I can't quite figure it out. We have, we're missing a whole demographic at our parish for some reason. Like our younger families and even the people that are like my age, they're not, they're not there. You know what I mean? And it is, it is going to be difficult for many people to come back and reconnect because uh, it's like when you are training for, for the Olympics and all of a sudden you take a break for two years and then you want to come back and, uh, and start, let's say, running or lifting weights or whatever, uh, you you will find it hard because you, you will completely disconnect it. Yeah. I'm not saying that it is impossible, but it's going to be hard for many families. You know, it's not yeah. going to be one of those, like, fairy tale Grinch moments where the whole community is like, Vahoo Doris, and they're singing in a circle Wait, like we're back. Say? It's the Vahoo Doris song, right? With the little snowflake. You know, remember they're all singing the, the little... Oh. I never heard someone actually say the words. They say, I'm not going to do this on the podcast because I love myself not to embarrass myself on the air. But yeah, they do okay. say like they're holding their hands in like the Vahoo Doris song. Yeah, 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 oh yeah, yeah, man, please. so much ammo over here. No. <laughs> But no, um, there's, it's not going to be like that. You know, there, it's not going to be like this flood of people as much as we want it to. But I think that we really should have the goal of returning back into mass. And, you know, there's so many things. There's so many creative minds. I mean, just uh, one of the things that we're doing with our teenagers in, on March 6th, we're having a beautification retreat. I mean, they're going to come here and they're fixing the indoor and outdoor of this youth building. They're going to paint, they're going to plant flowers, they're going to cl deep clean, we're installing a new television, like, they've got all these things that they want to do, and so we sent them out into little groups, I said, well, what do you want to do? And it was crazy, the things they came back, they were so amazing, like, we want a mental health room where if I'm having a bad day, I just want to sit and pray and reflect. No, I, I wanted to take this space and I just want to be able to play sports with my friends, or I want to do that, and they were creating all these things on their own and they're all between 12 and 19 years old 
those voices all want to do this here in this home community. And yet right now, it's a struggle to get them back unless it's for confirmation requirement. And I think it's about trying to find ways for the whole family to feel like they're, each of their voices in the family is wanted and desired and actually applied here in our faith community. Well, and the church will definitely face a challenge. If somebody, uh, both my husband and I, are product, we're both products of that St. John Paul II kind of movement, that youth movement. Uh, we've had a gap for a while in the church. The church will definitely face an, yet another challenge with drawing its youth back. I mean, I can remember being a youth and... Well, I mean, he's a saint now, but Pope John Paul II, I mean, was just one of my biggest heroes. And, you know, eventually down the road when I met my husband, when we became friends, I mean, he was greatly inspired by, uh, I mean, he went to the World Youth Day in Denver, even. So, I mean, and most of my friends that I went to college with were great followers of Pope John Paul II. And, you know, we need to invest in our youth. We have, I don't think that anyone's a lost cause, you know. Um, we're missing that demographic, but, I mean, we need to invest in the youth. Because if we're finding anything, we're finding that the youth is seeking the sacred. They're seeking the truth. And we have to be receptive to welcoming them in. And, and there's a great chance that by taking them in, we'll get their parents. That's kind of just the added bonus, you know. But we have to invest in the youth. We have to show them that, you know, we're more than just this kind of moral, kind of ethical construct. We're more than just a building. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the great difference between us and the rest of these churches around here is that we have the truth. We have an absolute monopoly on the truth. And that's one of the number one things that, that kids and youth look for is the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to be inventive or creative about it. We have it. Yeah. You know? When you were speaking earlier about it not being kind of this kind of like kumbaya moment where everyone's going to come back and hold hands and the church will be filled. I, I agree. It probably will not happen like that. I, I'd love to be wrong about that also, but it's probably not. But then again, in, in the along the lines of slavery, you know, we are so used to the self-gratification, the instant gratification. How do I feel? What am I getting out of mass? That... If you, I, I, it makes me, it makes my skin crawl when, when Catholics talk about competing with other Christian churches, because <laughs> we're not here to compete, right? Mm-hmm. But that is one of the grave differences. Is you're not gonna come here every Sunday and feel good about yourself. You're not. No. But uh, Catholicism is a mature faith. You know, um, that's a great difference between us and some of the evangelical churches around. You know, it life is tough. The road is narrow. It's not always easy. You've got to know how to make it when it's... It's easy to make it when it's good, but you've got to know how to make it when it's hard. Well, I think one thing that shed a light of this absolute gratitude for Father Beto here, when I go to Mass and he's the celebrant, I feel like he's got like a one-way channel to my life, even when I didn't plan on having it amplified. And the oh. homily just goes like, boom. It's so I'm so able to connect it and be like, Oh man, well there you go, and then I'm just like regear. And even when the lesson isn't good, it's a little bit of a like not a scolding, but more like a like a mindful correction of like what happened. I would say when it stings. Yeah. See, Stacy said that's that. Right here. I, I was like mindful correction. No, no when, it, when stings, it stings, I go. Oh, you know what? That's right. And so we're just so 
blessed to have you be able to be like, yeah, this is what needs to happen. I'm like, wait. Okay. <laughs> here it is. That's right. And if you are listening and you, you're a prisoner here or you live in the area and you're not taking advantage of while he is our pastor, you are missing out for our liturgies. Because although all the priests say mass, it's not every mass you go to where you you are just you envelop the whole community with you when you lift them up in prayer and it is um it is truly feeling like being a member of the mystical body of christ when you preside at mass um absolutely it's it's something where even from when you were a deacon here and you were building there was like that like it was it's you have this ability to just not only connect with us, but also genuinely love everyone in that church. It's just, it's absolutely beautiful. You so, know, speaking of being a deacon, uh, in two days it will be my 20th anniversary of uh, when I was ordained a deacon. Wow. July 25th, 2002. Now I feel old. <laughs> at, at, at this church. It was amazing. Oh, it was. It was, it was God, I remember that. I'm surprised you kept, you kept track of that date. I well, thought you were just kept track of ordination. You, you know why? Because I was going to be ordained in in, uh, in Salinas at Madonna del Sasso with my other three classmates. And uh, I said, no, I, I, I want you to be ordained in the South. Why? Because I want the people from the South of the diocese to be able to see and experience an ordination. And uh, my first two attempts, Bishop Ryan has called me. He said, <laughs> no, I am not going to ordain you uh, over there. Your donation will happen in Salinas. I spoke to uh, Father Joe Butters. You know, oh. Yeah. And he said, don't worry, I'll talk to Bishop Ryan. And I was just crossing my fingers and praying to all the saints and martyrs and every, everybody else. So then he came back and done. Done what? Your donation will happen here. What happened? Well, Bishop Ryan said that the reason why he didn't want to come all the way here is because the choir, the diocesan choir, cannot make it to Rio Grande. That's it. And then but Father Joe Body said, we don't really need him. We have a wonderful choir. And yes, indeed. You know? <laughs> I just shuttling them all here to the listening yeah, and go. So, Such cool. legit decisions there. What a weird decision. But it was great. You know, the, the, the Knights of Columbus and the ICF, they cooked. And then the, the youth groups, both in Spanish and English, they served. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really wonderful. It it was was, I can't yeah. believe it's been that yeah, long ago. Years. But you see, that's something that I think that you probably underestimate, but that you bring to the table. Because one of the things that we have lost as a church is our connection with the clergy. I mean, obviously, that's a whole other podcast for many different reasons. But um, many of the younger generations don't have that connection anymore with clergy or with religious like they used to have. And I think that is something we're that, so blessed here that they you bring to the table because Father David. you were here as a seminarian, you came as a deacon, an associate, and now mm-hmm. back as mm-hmm. the pastor. Mm-hmm. So the people actually feel a, a, there's a deep connection there. You and know what we, I mean? We need to take advantage of the new priests so they can do what I did back then. I'm not saying that I I cannot do it. I can do it, but we need to let the young guys do what I did back then. No, definitely. You know, visit visit the youth groups uh, and, and interact with the, uh, the teenagers and uh, and even challenge them to consider, you know, come to church, receive the sacraments, and even to uh, give a thought about you know religious life. 
for priesthood. Yeah. No, definitely. And everybody, I think I blew Rachel away one day when I was talking to her about that, about, you know, the, like the uh, poll they do of seminarians for a year. They're moving on to our nation. And one of the things they all have, or two of the things they always all have in common is they all were altar boys and they all had this, this mentor priest where the priest maybe didn't realize it, but they looked up to this guy and, you know what I mean, just held him, not so much on a pedestal, but this was the model, and they saw something in the, in him that embodied what they wanted to become. And so they themselves, you know, discern priesthood for themselves. And I think that's so important because even, you know, in my own life, working for the church, we all have that one person, that one priest, who inspired us to be like, hey, this is what you should do in your life. Think about it, you know. And we've we've kind of lost that, but it's definitely coming, definitely come back with you being the pastor, and then with our associate being young and being from the area. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just as well. I'm always saying we just as well work with the gifts we got while we got them, because you don't always stay too long. <laughs> yes. You know. Well, we are so lucky after such a beautiful discussion today. We want to hear from our viewers now. Like, what do you find yourself a slave to? Like, in your day-to-day life, is it a schedule like Stacy? Was it the social media um, question? Is it all these pandemic rules? Like, no no judgment, but there's a lot of rules to be a slave to. Just try to get groceries or meet other people. Don't even try dating. It's a nightmare. But, you know, it's just I'm not all dating these, right now. Well, good. I would hope not. But yeah, that would be a, that would be an interesting podcast. If I'm you not were. dating right now. Yeah. <laughs> but in any event, what are what do you find yourself being a slave to? And is this something that can be addressed during Lent? Lent is coming up in a heartbeat. So we'd love to hear from you in the comments. Let us know. Uh, Father, thank you so much for being here with no us problem. today. And if you don't mind leading us in closing prayer, that would be amazing. Well, before the closing prayer, and uh, you were challenging uh, the audience uh, about slavery, but what would be your resolution or your commitment for this uh, coming Lent? Ooh. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice? Uh, not only for 40 days, that we were discussing at the beginning, but to begin with 40 days and, and beyond. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. Gracious Father, we thank you for uh, the great opportunities to discuss, to, to talk, to meditate, to uh, uh, bring the, uh, the topics of, of the church and, and to analyze, uh, especially as we prepare for uh, this uh, coming uh, Lent season. Give us the spirit. Give us the motivation to uh, do your will and uh, make a, a change in our lives. We ask this to Christ, O oh Lord. Amen. Amen. The, the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, guys. It has been another awesome episode of Trial by Fire with your hosts, Stacey and Rachel. Have a beautiful week, and we'll talk soon. Oh, see y'all later. <laughs> see. See ya. <laughs>